Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians 3, please. This past Wednesday, June 17th, a 21-year-old boy, supposedly a young man, visited a church in Charleston, South Carolina with evil intentions. As the Bible study was coming to a conclusion, he began firing, and he murdered nine people in this racist, evil act. Racism is seen in many ways in our modern society. Through the years, some have thought that racism was subsiding. But the reality is, it still courses through the veins of so many. And until we recognize that Jesus died for every tribe, every tongue, every people, until we recognize that every man, woman, and child was made in the image of God, until we realize that our identity is not found in our race, ethnicity, or our region, we will continue to see this manifestation of hatred and violence. The source of this hatred, the source of this violence, can be traced back all the way back to Cain and Abel. The Bible tells us that Cain was of that wicked one and slew his brother. The Bible tells us that Satan is a liar and a murderer from the beginning, and I would say, to help us understand that, a liar and a murderer from just after the creation of man. I read several articles on this. I don't generally read news articles or commentaries on these kinds of things, but it was so close to home for anyone that knows Jesus as their Savior. It's so close to home it was worth looking at a little bit. I read several articles, and I wanted to share a a small sample from one of them. This man writes, In the coming days, the response will be predictable, tried and true. Theologians will offer us carefully reasoned explanations of sin and depravity, and rightly so. Counselors will tell us that grieving is not only natural but helpful. Commentators will point to cultural problems and political solutions. Pastors will humbly, with almost embarrassed tones, call their churches to greater faith, to trust God when things don't make sense. We'll tell our people God has a plan and is working all things together for good or for the good of those who love Him. All these things may be true. All of these things may be what we truly need to hear. But in the wake of any tragedy, words often ring hollow. Passionate pleas become pious platitudes. Easier said than done. Well, what do we say? What do you say in the face of this type of an activity? This type of evil? This type of unreasonable cruelty? 
he proposes this as he continues to write. So what do I tell my children the next time we walk into our sanctuary, our former safe haven, and there are strangers in our midst? How do I convince them they'll be safe? What can I do to alleviate my wife's concern that her pastor husband could be the next victim? How do I comfort her knowing my army ranger training tells me to run toward trouble, not away from it? Pastorally speaking, what do I tell the victim of abuse when she knows the world is full of evil people and that senseless violence is all too real? Folks, it's in the face of these types of circumstances that we find out where our affections lie. It's in the face of these difficulties and these kinds of activities that we find out for whom we live and in whom we trust. It's so easy to say, our minds are set on things above. But the reality is, we need to evaluate where our mind is by looking at how we respond to our circumstances. Just a few thoughts. We must look at the simple things in our lives to tell us if our affections are truly on things above. Before we come to a tragedy and see whether our affections are things are on things above, simple things in life. How do you respond when someone cuts in front of you in line? Where are your affections? On things above? Or on things on the earth? How do you respond when the wrong person gets credit for an idea? On things above? Or on things of the earth? How do you respond? What is your response when someone walks by without acknowledging you? Is your affection on things above? Or on things of the earth? For what, or better, for whom are you living? Now, we're in the book of Colossians. And what God's Word has been telling us is that we have this vital, life-giving union, this intimate relationship, this, this identity that is ours in Christ. He's been telling us time and again through the first couple of chapters of Colossians, and he continues that same theme here into Colossians chapter 3. Being in Christ isn't just a theory. Being in Christ isn't just some kind of a theological concept for someone to think about in a seminary somewhere. Being in Christ has substance. It has real substance. We should not settle for shadows when we have been provided with such a vital union with Jesus. Being united together with Jesus impacts our past, our present, and our future. Our past, present, and future are vitally impacted by our union with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really what we see here in this short passage we have before us this morning. Colossians chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 1. I'll read, you can follow along in your copy of Scripture. It says, if you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Now, I I made the the reading. We had the reading at the beginning of our service this morning, but I want to read one more time through the same passage. I know you've got it. But I want to read one more time, and I want to emphasize the tenses in this passage. Listen again to verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, if then you were raised, that's something that happened in the past, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden, that's present, is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. We have a, a past, a present, and a future here in this, in this text. And it all is related to our being with Him. We were raised with Him. We are hidden in Him. We will appear with Him. This is all a work of God in bringing us into an intimate relationship, a union with Jesus Christ. So let's take a look through this passage and consider. First of all, our union with Christ has provided us with spiritual life. This emphasis is in the past. We were dead, right? Because you're not made alive unless you're dead. We were dead, and what he says, you were raised with Christ. You were raised with Christ. And so we went from death to to life. This is so important. You were dead in trespasses and sins. To quote a famous pirate, dead men tell no tales. Or anything else. They don't have conversations. They don't do anything. We were dead. Hmm. What other implications did that have? You had no hope. You were without God in the world. You were mastered by sin, and you were under the bondage of the law. Is the law bad? No. Could you fulfill the law as, an, as a dead person? As a spiritually dead person, could you fulfill the law? No. Absolutely and utterly helpless, I was. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who abounds in loving kindness and grace, but God made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. This is the reality of our union with Christ. In the past, we were spiritually dead. And when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, He took us from spiritual death to real, vital, spiritual life. And and as those who have come to know Jesus as our Savior, you're no longer under regulations. 
as those who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, you're no longer under the basic principles of the world. As those who have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer subject to the commands and doctrines of men. And the reason that this is so important is because we all have learned that these things, regulations that men impose, doctrines of men that they've conjured up, they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. When you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the dominion of sin ended. Now, we know what dominion is, right? Lordship. Rulership. Sin can no longer rule over the believer unless we choose to allow it to rule over us. Which is why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, Yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Did he say anything at the end of that? For you are not under the law. Does he stop there? Or is there another statement? There's another statement. But you are under grace. We have a new master. Law demands, and I cannot fulfill Grace demands and fulfills the demand in us. This is the glory of our union with Jesus Christ. When we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, the dominion of sin was broken. You received spiritual life and you began to receive the grace of God that fulfills the demands of the law. This came because we were raised with Christ. Now, we just take a a quick little recap of it. We've already talked about this in chapter 2, didn't we? So we don't need to re-dive into all of these concepts. But but remember it. Because he's bringing that discussion from chapter 2 into the discussion of chapter 3. He says, if then you were raised with Christ. So he's reminding us of what we just learned. Since you have been. Uh, Let's assume for the... the, uh, sake of argument that you've been raised from the dead is what he says. It's a first class condition. So what he's telling you is, uh, for the sake of argument, I'm assuming that you all have been raised with Christ. And because we can assume that that's true, seek those things that are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. We're going to come back to that concept. Our union with Christ has provided us with spiritual life. This refers to our past. But Our union with Christ, as we look through the passage a little further, will provide us with a full display of Jesus' glory. Our union with Christ will provide for us a full display of Jesus' glory. This is about our future. This is what we see as we look at verse 4. Take a look there with me, please. When Christ... What are the next three words? who is our life. When Christ, who is our life. What do you identify with? Well, I'm, I'm Caucasian. All right. Big whoopty. What do you identify with? Well, well I'm, I'm English. Eh. Eh. Well, I have a little bit of French in me. Eh. Well, I've got a little bit of... Who 
cares? Now, I'm not saying that you don't, can't care about your heritage and your ethnicity. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't make any difference. But when it comes to, like, real life, really, who are you? And Paul is answering that for us here in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life. Friends, this is why there is no need to care about ethnicity when it comes to a church. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, Asian. It doesn't matter if you are Russian, if you're from Yugoslavia. It doesn't make any difference. Because He has, through Christ, made us one. With whom and with what do you identify? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also, you also will appear with Him in glory. So we're talking about our future. Now we're talking about our present because we're talking about the fact that Jesus is our life, right? But He's also talking about something that's going to take place. When that One who is our life, when He appears, we will appear with Him in glory. As we consider this text, there's several concepts that we need to try to Understand, Christ is our life. He is the source of our life. He is the direction of our life. He is the end purpose of our life. We don't need to go very far. We could just read through the Gospel of John and you'll see our necessity of Jesus for life. It says in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 5, Jesus said to her, I, John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, uh, though he might die, he shall live. In John 5, Jesus said this, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. In John 17, he's praying to the Father, and he says, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Jesus is life. He has life and he dispenses life. He's the source of our life. He's the direction of our life. And he, friends, he is the end goal of our life. And we look to this time when he appears and the Bible says we will appear with him in glory. Well, what will that look like? One day it will be very clear that his life has become our life. Let's pause. What do you bank your eternal life on? Like, wh- where do you root your security and your, your confidence about your eternal destiny? Is it that you think, well, look, th- I used to be like this. And I used to think like this. And I used to talk like this. And I used to do these things. My life has changed. Is this what we root our eternal security on? Or do we root our eternal security on the life of another? See, He is our life. When I get to heaven, and I'm going, hallelujah, (laughs) when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be there wrapped in the righteousness of Rob. 
I'll be wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. He is my life. When I appear with him in heaven, when you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, when you appear with him in heaven, you will be just like him. The Bible lets us know that his life will become our life. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven. From whence we look for our, our uh, Lord Jesus Christ, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will do what? Transform our what? Our body of flesh. Our body of decay. Our vile body, the King James says. Our lowly body, that it may be conformed unto His what? Glorious body or body of glory. Glorious body. Hmm according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So he talks very externally here, doesn't he? He says, well, someday Jesus is coming back. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. We know that the real place we live, our real address is not 2004 Elmwood Avenue. Our real address is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we're waiting eagerly for Jesus to come back because we know that our vile body will be changed like his glorious body. So we're talking very externally. But that's not really the point. John the Apostle makes it very clear the, the depth of this change that will take place in 1 John 3, 2, where he says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, that's the same concept of appearing, when He is revealed, we will be what? Like Him! For we shall see Him as He is. The world got a glimpse of Jesus for a short window of time. And you'll remember, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. It wasn't readily apparent to them exactly who this was. He's coming again, and it will be unmistakable. He will be unveiled. He will be revealed in the fullness of His glory. And you know what? For those that have known Jesus Christ as their Savior at that time, we will appear with Him. We will be like Him, just as He is. Our life is not our life. He is our life. Think about this, friends. In the past, we received spiritual life through our union with Jesus. In the future, our entire being will be reflective of our union with Jesus. But what about right now? See, we've gone past and future. Now it's, it's time for the present. What about right now? Our union with Jesus is providing us an opportunity to display our real life. Our union with Jesus is providing us an opportunity to display our real life, our true identity. You know, our true identity in some ways is hidden right now. Let's read this passage one more time. 
I'm going to read from the beginning to the end again. God's word works. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you remember that in Jesus' earthly ministry, his true ID, his true identity was hidden? He was rejected. He was beaten. He was hated. And he told his disciples, they hated me. They'll hate you also. He told us this. Do you also remember that there were times his real identification was displayed? His real identity was displayed. You remember that? You see Jesus healing a lame man. It was a display of his true identity. You see Jesus giving um, hearing to a deaf person, untying the, the, the tongue of a mute, sight to a blind man, preaching to the lowest of society, rescuing tax collectors and sinners. His true identity was being displayed from time to time. And I believe since Jesus is our life, since our life is hidden with Him, since He has provided our spiritual life, and He is our end goal, while we are here on this earth, our goal is to let Him be seen. Our goal is to let him be seen. You'll notice in this passage the hidden and appear there. Hidden in verse 3, appear and appear. Two times appear in verse 4. He's giving us this idea of a display. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. How do we display Jesus? He's our life, right? Christ is our life. And if he's our life, we want people to see him, right? How do we let Him be seen? Well, to answer that question in a general way, just from the general context of New Testament teaching and the the whole of Scripture, uh, you could look at Ephesians 4, verses 22-24. Put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new man. We know that that's that's the way that Jesus is seen. Ephesians 5.18, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the way Jesus is seen. You could look at Galatians 5.16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he goes on and says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Why are these a display of Jesus? Because these are fruits that only are displayed from the power of God. So to answer the question, how do we display Him from a general standpoint... It's, it's very, very obvious. In fact, as this passage unfolds in the book of Colossians chapter 3, he's going to unveil that same rationale in verses 5 right down through the end of the chapter. He's going to unveil that same rationale. Put off the old man and put on the new. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He gives us that same methodology in Colossians chapter 3. So he's telling us how we can let him be seen. 
But in the immediate text that we're looking at, he gives us very distinct ways, very obvious ways, very clear ways, and quite honestly, very simple ways that Jesus can be seen in us. There are only two commands in verses 1 through 4. There are no commands in verse 3. There are only statements of fact. And there are no commands in verse 4. Again, only statements of fact. Two commands, verse 1 and verse 2, and they say nearly the same thing, though they are distinguishable. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, what does he say? Seek those things which are above. There's our first command. Seek those things which are above. Verse 2 now. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. One is this searching for, this seeking after heaven. To say it in Jesus' terms, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it mean? What does it mean to seek God's kingdom? Well, I'm waiting for it to come. Yes, there is a a, a time when, when the kingdom of God will be very obvious and very plain and very visible. That's coming. Jesus will rule and reign. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus will visibly, clearly rule and reign. In the interim, from now until then, is there something about the kingdom that matters to us? And the answer to that is yes. We want God's kingdom that is very obvious in heaven to be obviously displayed on earth. How does that take place? By letting the king rule. All you really need, listen, all you really need for a kingdom is a king and some subjects. Unfortunately, the way that most people live their lives, whether they be believers or unbelievers, is it's a a king with a, a small K. I want to see a king, I look at him in the mirror every morning. Don't lie to yourself. You do the same thing. We are all constantly choosing between one of two kingdoms. One of two. Kingdom number one, me. And what I like, and what I want, what I feel, and what I know. Kingdom number two, what God has revealed, what God wants, what He knows. This is, this is the real world right here. This is make-believe. Have you learned that about yourself? Let, let's just think about it this way. Here I am living in my world, and I know what will make me happy. It's a hot fudge sundae with a lot of peanut butter on it. And maybe a brownie thrown in there. And maybe some Hershey's uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. This is going to make me happy. And so it, it's, it's served. There it is. Big. In all of its glory. And we take our shovel and, and we start in on this thing. Let me ask you a question. While you're eating it, how happy are you? Grinning from ear to ear, except when I'm chewing. How do you feel about it 15 minutes later? 
Did you lie to yourself? You did lie to yourself, didn't you? When you were done with that thing, because you ate too much, you didn't just have a little one. You, you went to town. Fifteen minutes later, you're like, what was I doing? Oh, tomorrow I'm going on a diet. <laughs> tomorrow morning comes, and it's like breakfast time, and you could have the, the healthy oatmeal or this other thing. And, and you make these choices all the time. And, and you, you're either satisfy yourself for a period of time. What you know, what you notice about yourself is you found out that you didn't know quite as much as you thought you knew when you were making these decisions. This is what happens when we live for our kingdom. It's like deception all the time. You're not a good king. I'm not a good king, friends. We need to know this. Which is why God wants to rescue us from our horrible kingdom. Because our kingdom bites. Our kingdom does not satisfy in any way. And God wants to rescue us from ourselves. And so He says, Seek Me. Let me ask you a question. Does the Bible tell us whether God will satisfy us or not? As the deer pants for the water brook, so does my heart pant for you, oh God. Listen, when you have delved in to the fresh water and truth of God, when you, as Peter says, tasted that the Lord is gracious, do you come back on the other side and say, man, I wish I didn't do that? What was I thinking? No. Because he truly satisfies Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Oh, by the way, He's your life. He's the source. He's the goal. He's the direction. Seek what it satisfies. If you come to me, you'll never thirst. You ever hear that before? Yeah, I heard it. And I tasted it. And he's right. Then he tells us, very similarly, but slightly different, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. The word there is phreneo. It it means think. Think things above. Think kingdom. Think heaven. Or let's get real. Think Jesus. Because he's our life. Think Jesus. Not on things of the earth. Lightfoot, an old time commentator from many years ago, wrote this. You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. You know, you can tell a lot about what kingdom you're living for by evaluating your desires. I don't, want, I don't think I need to spoon feed this to you. Just think through your own life. Think through your desires. It'll tell you whose kingdom you're living for. Jesus made it very plain in Matthew 6. Where your treasure is, what's the rest? There will your heart, your affections, your mind, there will your heart be also. I want you to turn to one passage, please. One passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Now remember what we're getting at. I, I wanted to, to isolate this down to this kingdom, whose kingdom are we living for concept. But remember what we're really trying to, to, to talk about at this point. Our union with Jesus. Our connectedness. Our intimacy. Our being in Jesus is providing us an opportunity to display our real life. Not the life that we come up with and think is going to work out for us. I'm talking about the real life, the kingdom life, the in Jesus life. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, such an important concept for us as we think about this displaying of who we really are in Christ. He says this, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, it's talking about the new covenant, uh, the covenant that the Spirit uses to, to give life. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not working, uh, walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Listen carefully. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. It is that God who has shown in our heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we, this is believers, but we have this treasure. What treasure? The light of, of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We're going to read further than this, but I want you to just understand what he's saying so far. Look at what we've been blessed with. We have this ministry. What ministry? The ministry of the new covenant that the Spirit uses to give people life. The law kills. The letter kills. The Spirit brings life. We have this ministry in earthen vessels. He tells us that that God causes the light to shine out of darkness. And He has caused that light to shine in us so that the people all around us can see the face of Jesus Christ, God's glory. We have this uh, this ministry, this, this glory in these earthly vessels, these broken pots. Why did God use such broken people. Because in our weakness, He is seen as glorious and strong. And look, at, look at what these, these folks, these, these people that have the glory of Jesus Christ in earthen vessels, look at what they face. Verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side. Yet, not not crushed not crushed we are perplexed but not in despair 
persecuted. But glory be to God, we are not forsaken. We're struck down. But we are not, for we cannot be destroyed. Verse 10. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested or shown forth in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Why? That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. What is he saying, friends? He's saying that the life of Jesus is manifest in the one who is being harmed. He is saying that the life of Jesus is being demonstrated in the life of those that carry forth the message of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency may be of God and not of us. And he tells us to hold forth the light. How do we do it? We do it, as the Apostle Paul told the Philippians, that we want Jesus to be magnified in our bodies, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. Why are we so willing to say this? Because our life is bound up in Jesus. Christ is our life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then Christ is is your life. He's the one who has given you life. He's the source. He's the one to whom your life is directed. And friends, He is the end goal of your life. He's your life from beginning to end. You will appear with Him in glory. Well, that's wonderful. But He said, right now, our life is hidden with Christ. Right now, hidden with Christ in God. So, and I say this reverently, I say this respectfully, I say this soberly. If someone busts into the back of the church, with gun in hand, I want you to wonder what is your identity? Is it the color of your skin? Is it about a church? Is it about your region? Or is it about Jesus? If someone busts through the doors of the church with a gun in hand, what will you be clinging to? Is Jesus your life? 
even more importantly, is your life his? There are so many more implications we could discuss, but let's, let's wind it down here. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Have you been granted spiritual life through faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? Will you be completely transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ? I have two last questions. And at the conclusion of the last two questions, there's going to be at least one minute of silence before we conclude in prayer. And I would like you to take that moment of silence to do whatever you need to do. Talk with God and consider. Is Jesus hidden in you Or are you hidden in him? Dear Father, there is no one like you. You have called us out of darkness. You've placed us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, You have, by your Spirit, united us together in Jesus Christ. You have set us off by boundaries. You've predestined us. You've chosen us by your grace. You've made us sons when we were your enemy. You are Glorious. You've given us life through your Son and a confident assurance that we will one day be completely perfect in your presence forever because of the life of your Son that you have granted to us. Father, we do not want Jesus to be hidden in us. We want our lives to be swallowed up in Him. We want people to see our life, our real life. We want people to see Jesus. Help us that we would recognize the fruitlessness of living for our own kingdom and the fruitfulness of living for yours. We want to seek the things that are above because Christ is there and he's our life. We want to set our affection on things above, not on things of the earth, because we want our lives to be hidden. We know that in a theological way they are hidden. We want to be in truth to have our lives hidden in Christ and that people would see Him. 
We want Him to be seen. He is our Savior. We pray, Father, You'd help us to put Him on display by Your Spirit. And that because He's being displayed, there would be a responsiveness to the Gospel. We know that there will be some unto glory and some otherwise. We commit these things to you. We want to be vessels fit for your use. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.